0: Hey, Life Canton, Roger here, director of student and adult ministry. So glad that you're with us today. Brand new listener, returning, whatever. We're just glad, glad that you are here. I'm excited that you're here to listen to what we have to say. Uh, if you are brand new, be sure to like, follow, subscribe, all of that. Often we put out extra things in our sermons. We actually have one coming up this week, so be sure to follow us so you can catch that stuff when we put it out. Also. I remind you guys every week, but every week it's so true and so much more true that God is up to so much in our church and our community, and if you want to be a part of that, be sure to take the opportunity to give to the mission of the church. Uh, you can give on our uh, Life Church Canton forward slash give page uh, to be a part of that. So today we are continuing on in our series on 2 Timothy, and we're going to hear a message from Pastor Nathan. I think... He's going to challenge us maybe to think about God's grace in a way we may not have thought of it before. So give that a listen. I'm excited for you to hear it, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute.
1: Thank you for being here. Um, I just want to thank the worship team for leading us where we need to go today. Today is going to be all about Jesus and what he has done for us and in us. And I'm excited that you are here, whether you're here for the first time, visiting for the dedications, uh, joining us online, I am really Really glad that you are here. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a series on 2 Timothy. We're learning how to read the word of God, how to fan into flame what God has done inside of us. But there's a purpose behind what we do. Here at Life Canton, we want you to reclaim your identity in Jesus, and we want you to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love into the world. So we come here to be encouraged, of course, to be challenged, to find a place of belonging, but it's for a purpose a purpose of bringing justice and love into the world. And right now, our world needs it more than ever before. So we believe that God can do that in and through every single one of us. Whether we've been with Jesus for years in this church for years, or we're just being born, we can dedicate our lives to this. So I'm glad that you are here. Your Connect card is an opportunity for you to take your next step. Today, it's going to be the star of the show, because we're going to give you a lot of next steps to take uh, things that you can do on your journey. And we want you to fill it out and give it back to us so that we can partner with you in that. We're in Second Timothy. It's a letter. And Second Timothy chapter two specifically. It'll be on the screen. Um, but as well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some as free gifts for you at the Welcome Center. We want you to have a Bible, but of course you can look it up on your phone as well. Second Timothy is a letter, one of love. When where Paul is speaking to his disciple, Timothy, when he's cared for and invested in. And we've been taking it verse by verse all the way through the summer. I've actually highlighted some passages, some of the words in each passage, because we realize we can't actually dig into everything that's here, even though we're taking a whole summer to get through a short letter. There's so much wealth in it. So today I want to share with you the first verse in Second Timothy uh, chapter uh, chapter 2. Verse 1 says this, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. The whole message today is to be strong in grace. Before we get to that, look at that beautiful, my son, my son. This is in term of endearment. I, the care is here. The discipleship is here. As a church, we care about discipleship. Let's go. What does that mean? Strong in grace. Here we've talked about grace and mercy a lot. And we define grace as this. Grace is not getting what you deserve. What does that mean? Well, it's not like you, this is not in the sense of like, well, I earned that, so I deserve it. No, grace is, is not getting the punishment for things you have done wrong. Grace is saying, hey, you did something wrong, where well, you're not going to get the punishment for that. So that's why you're not getting what you deserve, what you have earned by your bad actions. And grace is something that we can be strong in. But to understand grace, we got to understand what you have done wrong, what we have done wrong. So I want to use this word called sin. And if you're in church a lot, you hear this word, and sometimes it just becomes something that you don't think about anymore. You don't really define in your head what sin is. And if you're outside the church, you're like, ooh, I don't like that word sin. Well, what is it? Well, this word is used in the Old Testament and the New, which was written in the Hebrew and the Greek. And the word is kata or harmatia. And together they mean to fail at something or to miss the mark. The image is of an archer shooting towards a, a, a mark and just a missing hit. That's what sin is. It's the failure to hit the goal. So if there's a goal and we can fail to hit it, well, what is that goal? Well, the goal is to treat every single person and God, every single person that you ever encounter with justice and love. So sin is the failure to treat individuals as what they are, made in the image of God. And no matter how they're acting, they still represent Him. That's why if you sin against somebody, maybe they cut you off in traffic and you give them the bird, right? Or, or, or you lay on the horn, right? You're not treating them as an the image of God. You're treating them as a son of something else, you know? <laughs> all people laugh are sinners. Come on. <laughs> Just kidding. I do it too, all right? <laughs> so what our goal is? is to treat people with love and justice. And we all know that's what we want in the world, but it's something that's incredibly difficult. In fact, it's so hard that we know we fail all the time. So what sin also does uh, is it does something else. It teaches us to justify our actions. What do you mean? It teaches us to look at what we do and justify it as not a bad thing while then condemning other people. It's okay for me to do that, but not for others. And I call this in the past a self-justification system. It's a way of saying, like, I'm going to justify everything that I do. And we have systems for that. And we're very, very good. So sin not only is missing the mark, but sin causes us to have an inability to even recognize truth, to recognize where the mark is. But the truth is, what, go- what is good does not change based on my opinion of it. Because all of us have different opinions of it. It doesn't change. It is firm. But the problem with sin is it causes us not to quite see it. Third, sin not only deceives us, but it can get in and drive us towards selfish pursuit. We get so hung up on these things that we just look out for ourselves. The Bible Project has a video on this. I encourage you to watch it. It's only about five minutes to talk about sin if you want to learn more. But I'm going to read a quote that they summarize what sin is according to both the Old and New Testament. It boils down to this. It'll be on the screen. Sin is the failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It is the inability to judge whether we are succeeding or failing. And it is the deepest selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. When we sin, there are costs for these actions, for these self-deceptions, for these impulses. It breaks trust with God. That's another word that we use to describe it. It's called transgression, Means to break trust with God. It bends and breaks the truth or attempts to. That's what the word iniquity, if you've heard that before, that's what that means. And it causes us to constantly miss the mark of treating everyone and God with justice and love. And the cost is what you see in the world today brokenness, dysfunction, pain, and suffering for others. It's injustice, it's hate, and it's greed. As I've been dwelling on what sin is, so I can understand grace, I wrote this down. Sin is this innumerable many deaths of the soul, which incites destruction in your very self and your beloved family to the neighbors around you and to the world, which without intervention culminates in a total death of the soul and total destruction of everything good in our world. And sin has become so pervasive in our world, we almost don't know what it would look like to live in a world that's perfect or heaven, a new earth. That's what we're promised, but we haven't ever even seen it. So to even recognize it might not be something that we can do, this side of heaven or God returning and making it real. And sin has caused every difficult thing you've ever been through and painful thing, all of the tragedies, that is the root of it is sin. So we were left to all this except for God. And This is where grace comes in. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He loved God and he loved others as made in the image of God perfectly. Not only that, as he came in and he untwisted our perception of truth and he called us to repent of our ways of thinking and to think like him in the way he taught. And he never missed his mark. You see, when he came here, he had his eyes fixed on the prize that was put before him. And the prize that was put before him was the cross, was to come to suffer and die, to to say on the cross, it is finished, to take everyone's sin on top of himself, and to pay for it once and for all. See, all of us deserved the consequences of sin, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we don't receive it. See, grace is not getting what you deserve. Do you understand now that a little better now. Grace is not getting what you deserve, what I deserve, what all of us deserve. We deserve condemnation. We deserve pain and suffering, and that would be our end, except for Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful thing that has ever been done in all of human history, and this grace should define our very existence. So this is what grace is. Well, the, tre- the text says this: "Be strong in the grace. Well, I kind of feel like grace is a reality, right? So just grace hard, right? (laughs) How does that work? What does that mean? what What is Paul saying here? How do we strengthen ourselves in grace? How do we allow the truth of this grace that we have perceived strengthen us? What Paul is saying is, Timothy, I love you. I love you so much. I'm about to tell you some things that we need to do together. But I want to remind you before we go any further, you have got to ruminate on what God has done for you. You've got to meditate on what you have been saved from. You have to take this time and dwell and contemplate that you have not received what you have deserved, but instead, you've been given life. Instead of final death, you have eternal life in Him. Let me ask a question Have you thought about the grace that you have received lately? I know there's a couple, I've had a couple conversations with you this week. You're like, every day you're like, man, I sinned, I messed up, but I know that God has covered this, and, and, and you think about it, but have you dwelled on it? Let me ask you in a different way. What is the uh, the thing you need to repent of or a sin you've done today, yesterday? Can you identify it? Like, that's a weird thing to say. Oh, I'll get to why it's important. Because it's important for us to draw strength from grace. If we do not acknowledge where we have messed up, then we can't actually experience the grace And the way that Paul is explaining. Let me, let me talk about it this way. We have so deceived ourselves and distanced ourselves from taking responsibility for our actions. Our self-justification systems are so high that we barely, if ever, feel the need to repent or to turn away from sin. We barely feel it. Let me, let me explain it this way. You guys know Netflix, right? I hear it's, it's around. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Let me ask a question. I can guarantee, without having a show of hands, that there are those who enjoy all of the benefits of Netflix without paying for Netflix. Am I right? Who in here has a password from somebody else? You don't have to raise your hand. I, they, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Look at that. She's in the front row like, yeah, I do. I do. We have so justified that. That was never Netflix's intention whatsoever. In fact, the reason why I know we're so good at deceiving ourselves and saying why it's okay for us to use a password from somebody else to enjoy all the benefits without paying for it all, that when Netflix said, hey, you know what? We're actually going to make it so that it's hard for you not to give it to your uncle and your best friend and the person across the country. We're actually going to kind of protect it. Do you know what happened? People got very angry. Like, they got mad. They're like, no, it's my right to have whatever I want from you without paying for it. What are you doing? This isn't okay. You know, we laugh about that. We chuckle. We all get it. Yeah, we all know. We all steal from Netflix. It's fine. It's fine. If they don't don't control it, it's fine. Like, you know, listen, if they don't lock up their house, I can take whatever I want, even their baby. It's totally fine. Listen, why do I bring this up? Am I here to tell you and say like, everyone in the church, you need to get your own Netflix account. I'm not even sure you should be watching Netflix. That's not the point. (laughs) Why am I bringing it up? Because we can laugh about that. We can go, yeah, you're right. I justify that. And I'm still doing it. In fact, as I'm telling you, there are like five or six of you in the room going, but pastor, you don't understand. But pastor, you have already justified. Well, it's still okay for you to go home and watch Netflix. We're not paying for it. Guaranteed. Why do I bring it up? Because this is easy to talk about. But your greed, your hatred, the way you treat your wife, that's a little harder, isn't it? It's a little harder to sit there and go, yeah, wait a minute, maybe I do justify a lot of sin in my life. Why am I sharing? Why am I getting emotional about this? Because it isn't about what we're doing wrong. Like, I'm not sitting here like, you're all wrong, you need to go fix it. You're wrong in the eyes of God. It's because we all sin, we all break down, we all mess up. And what we do, and we self justify all that, is that we put it away and we won't let ourselves descend into repentance. We won't go into a place where I'm like, yeah, I'm wrong. I got to turn away from that. Because we're so proud, we won't let anyone tell us anything we're doing wrong. And what you are doing when you do that, by refusing to go into this moment of grief and pain, is you're refusing to see what's on the other side of that grief and pain because of Jesus Christ. What's on the other side of that is he says, I forgive you. I wipe you clean. Now rise up in the strength of grace and change the world. Do you understand that when we don't let anybody tell us what we're doing wrong and we refuse to sink into that death, then we also don't rise in the resurrection. Man, this is important to you. I cry because you weaken yourselves. Because we are not strong in grace, we are strong in self-justification. And the enemy loves it. enemy loves it. Good, I don't have to do much to him. Just keep him proud. But in humility. Do you understand when you truly feel that? I, I, the moments where I feel the full weight of my sin, I thank God for. Maybe if I felt the full weight, I'd probably die. But <laughs> if I feel the full weight, because then I turn and I receive the joy of what God has done. So when we do this, it's a tragedy because we have been deceived in not understanding grace because this grace, when you understand what you have been saved from, it allows you to go after what God has saved you for with such passion and single-mindedness and joy. And Paul knows this. And he's saying, Timothy, pay attention. Paul, who understands it in other letters and other words around him, he heard that this, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life. And he said, in, and also we learn in James that he gives us more grace and more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. No matter how heinous the action you have done or how tiny the white lie you have told, all are invitations to get on your knees before God to receive the new life and grace continually over and over and over again. This grace is so strong that it can forgive the young man who stole once from a thrift store to the greedy woman who hoards her wealth and has coveted others. And it extends to the shooters who have walked into our communities and killed children and killed black people. It's strong grace who has grace for the shooter who has brought such destruction. This is the grace of Jesus Christ. It makes no sense to us in our mind. But in his mind, it is beauty and glory and goodness. Why am I taking so long on this? Because we are missing out on the grace that we could be experiencing daily. I am inspired by the men and women that I have spoken to who daily, who daily repent and experience this grace new. Again and again. If we're going to do anything in this world, we need this grace. And so I'd be remiss if we didn't stop at this moment before we go a second further and pray for that repentance to come. And so we're going to pray in a moment. And normally at the end of the service, I ask people if they want to follow God, if they want to follow Jesus and receive this grace, that they would pray with me. And I'm going to invite you right now because it's time. Because what's necessary for where we go from here, it's necessary to have this grace. So let's close our eyes. And there are those of us who know Jesus, it's time to refresh, refresh your memory, refresh your experience, to encounter Jesus in this moment. And so if you're open, just no one's looking, you can open up your hands and just say you want to receive from God. But if you want to make this decision for the first time, maybe you're coming back, you're recommitting, I encourage you to give your life over to Jesus and receive this gift, this grace that you couldn't earn, but is freely given. Now you can do that by talking to God and you're going to have to repent, right? Repent just means turn away from. So say to God in your heart, I turn away from my way, my brokenness, and I turn towards you, God. But I know that I need a sacrifice. And so I ask that the the cross of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his precious blood, would cover me and make me new with this grace, I will stand up and I will move towards you, God. And I'll transform this world for your kingdom, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you made that decision to follow Jesus, I want you to know we want to walk with you and it's one of the most important things you'll ever do and it'll be a practice, a practice of laying yourself down to pick up what God has for you. Let us know on the connect card. Let us know that you made that decision so we can walk with you. Come talk to me. I want to encourage you to continue to encounter Jesus. I want you to understand how strong the grace of Jesus is. That's why we are singing, how precious is the flow. You know what that is about? How precious is the flow that makes us white as snow? What is that talking about? It's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ died and his blood was poured out. And he's saying how precious was the blood of Jesus that covers every one of us. So, with that in mind, let's continue on in Paul's letter to verse 2. Verse 2 says this And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others. This is important to understand that this is all about discipleship. Taking this joy, what I'm doing right now, and trying to take what God has done in me and give it to you. You must then take what God has done in you and give it to others. This is about discipleship, but I want to talk about that word, reliable, reliable. Do you know that friend you have who's reliable? Oh, man, they are are closer than a brother or a sister, aren't they? Because you can depend on them when things are difficult. The question I have for you today, to whatever church you normally attend, or if you come here, are you reliable? Are you reliable? Are you committed to what God is going to do in you? This passage is about discipline, but it's about loving other people, to help others reclaim their identity in Jesus, to invest in others. He's saying, invest what I have given to you, to people who can be trusted, to tell them, to tell them what? To follow Jesus, to become like him, to imitate him. For us, that's the life journey. The life journey is our process of helping people become disciple makers. Some people talk about the life journey. and say, oh, it's a way to grow your faith. And I would say, yes, as a byproduct Of what God has called you to, which is to disciple others, to pour what you have into other people. The life journey is there to help you disciple other people, to give you the tools, but to develop you into that place. This is why we do it. So maybe you need to sign up for the life journey today. I told you that connect card is going to be so important because all of you, I'm encouraging you to take a next step. So whether it's that you've followed Jesus or you're going to be in a life, uh, be part of the life journey, I want you to know that God is going to use it to transform us. This is a lot of buildup, isn't it? He's like, Pastor, if you take as long on verse one as you do on the rest of these, we're gonna be here all day. Yeah? So what? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not gonna take that long. But but there's a lot of buildup here. So you hear Paul, he's like, be in grace, be in grace, be in grace. Now trust to other people, trust to other people. And all culminates to this like job. Okay, here's the job we're gonna do, here's what we're gonna do for Jesus. And he goes to verse three and he says, join with me in the suffering. Really? Like Oh, all that buildup for the thing you want to do. And then you say, join with me in the suffering. It's like, come on in. The water's fine. It's acid, but it's fine. You know, it's like, suffer with me. Come, do this. This is what we do to serve Jesus. I'm like, man, that is not always encouraging to me. But this is the truth of what Paul is saying. You cannot suffer for Jesus if you are not strong in grace. And so be strong in grace. And he starts to build on this. See, suffering for Jesus, suffering for Jesus, suffering for Jesus is the faith. In a lot of ways, it is the faith completely. I love what Bruce said a couple weeks ago. Suffering is the only way to resurrection and restoration. There's got to be a Friday. There's got to be a good Friday. There's got to be a crucifixion before there's a resurrection. If I, if transformation <laughs> is what God calls us to do, then we'll be crucified with you, as we sang earlier the question is, are you willing to suffer for your faith? I don't know. That's a hard question. I I know what it is to suffer for this faith. The question is, am I willing to continue to suffer for this faith? And so Paul gives him three analogies, one sentence each, to help him become strong in grace. And we're going to move through these. The first one is verse 4. He continues the metaphor, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He's saying, as a Christian, you are a soldier in the kingdom. And so your focus is the one who commissioned you. Your job is to do what the soldier does, to go after that. And so he infers, listen, you don't entangle yourself in civilian affairs because you're focused on what I'm doing. Focused on what I'm doing. Now, I I can... relate to this. I've been a soldier. I was in the military for six years, but I also grew up as a a military brat, you know, and my dad was also a pastor, which is why I have all the problems that I have. He's a pastor in the military, so I'm just messed up, but part of it is that we moved a lot. I don't know if you've been in the military or you were a church planner or a church leader. You move a lot, so for the first, I don't know, decade of my life or not more, I, I moved every 18 months, well, see, you become pretty focused on the moving and the doing and what you're doing. You, you don't put down roots. So that really framed the way I thought about things. See, see, what has bound my family together is never some home or some area of the country, but what our purpose was. Our purpose was to follow Jesus and to sacrifice and sacrifice many things for him. Now, What I'm not saying is that if you grew up in Canton or Westland or wherever and and you've been there and your parents have been there and you're not going to go anywhere else that there's anything inherently wrong with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God calls us to be focused on his kingdom and there are many things in the world that we can be distracted by. That's this world called entangled, this word called entangled. To entangle means to be so bound up in something as to be restricted in what else you can do. And he's saying, listen, soldiers aren't worried about civilian things. They have put those things behind them. The soldier is single-minded. The soldier is single-minded. He is focused on one thing. The image of entanglement is the idea that rams would get into this brush and they would have their horns caught in this brush and would be, get so entangled and moving around that the ram's head is basically stuck in this bush and can't do anything, can't move. It means to become so involved in something that it restricts what you can do. What he's saying here is soldiers are single-minded, but to be entangled is to be double-minded. The question is, are you double-minded? Are you focused on the things of Christ, or are you focused on the things of Christ and all these other things? Reality, it's one or the other. Entanglements. I love that word. Entanglements. What entangles us? Well, going back to sin, right? Sin entangles us. So the drugs we misuse, the alcohol we drink too much of, the porn that we watch, the overindulgence in food and spending the emotional, the physical affairs going on and on and on. These are sins that are against God's plan and without Christ would separate us. But they are still things that can ensnare us, hold us fast. And just like a ram who has his horns caught, these sins can hold our head steady, looking and focusing on them but well, the problem is, is you can't look around you, you can't see the predator that's coming behind you for your marriage or for your family or for your kids, because you're so focused on the things that are either distracting you from the pain you're experiencing or the things that you got stuck in. Not only that, it, it keeps you from being able to lift your eyes and focus on the good shepherd, on Jesus who cares for you and to be empowered by grace. But it's not just sin that entangles us. Good things can become entanglements as well if they lock our focus and start to dominate our mind and thinking. So many sports, you can't come up for breath. So fo- focused on the hustle. Definitely not that other word I almost said. <laughs> Y'all heard it. If I didn't say anything, you'd just be like, Louie, you almost said that. This would gonna be funny. Everyone's gonna be trying to download it and put it into a loop. <clears throat> focus here. okay? So focused on the hustle, we can't hear the Holy Spirit, is what I was trying to say. (laughs) So ensnared by the TV, you cannot discern the truth. I tell you what, the internet just keeps scrolling. Within 10 years of YouTube being around, I think it was within six, there are more videos being uploaded a second than could be watched in a lifetime. It never ends. Entangled. A single-minded person fixes their focus. But when you get double-minded, when you get pulled in, sometimes you have to cut yourself free by cutting yourself off. Sometimes you have to cut those things out. Now, only Jesus has grace who can, co- uh, who can save us from the consequences of our sin. But we have a role in putting to death the distractions, whether they be sin or a selective distraction. It is our role. The Holy Spirit points out the brambles. Will we reject his conviction or will we take next steps? The soldier is single minded. 2 Timothy 2 5. It says this Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. What he's saying here is, like, everyone around then knew about athletes, and they had the Olympiad, which is like our Olympics. It was a competition at the highest level, and the only way to win was to do it by competing according to the rules. They had to come 10 months ahead of time and train with them. So we all know there's a difference between the NBA and streetball, and what you can get away with in streetball, and what you can get away with the NBA, well, you can't really get away with much unless you are really paid a lot of money, like LeBron or whatever. It doesn't matter. He, he dribbles all the time what do I know? Like, I'm not an athlete. I'm not elite. But you have to win the crown, the competition by playing by the rules. And what Paul is, is inferring here is, one, the athlete is disciplined. Beyond just following the rules, he subjects himself to p- physical punishment, to the rhythm of practice, to stretching and eating Right. I heard one Olympian said, uh, say that after they retired, they were looking forward to eating desserts again because they hadn't had a dessert in 10 years. And I said, well, that's why I'm not an Olympian. <laughs> not the only reason, but one of them. There's discipline there. And Paul's saying to try to avoid suffering or situations that might lead to suffering in following Jesus is to breach the rules. But this is interesting, this idea of suffering. I love CrossFit, and I love what it is. And uh, CrossFit is about suffering. It really is. They get in there, and we're like, look at this workout. This is going to be terrible. Yeah, I'm so excited. Like, this is going to be painful. Yeah, it's going to be great. We subject ourselves to so much pain because of the sport and what we're trying to do. But we have these other um, events. are called hero workouts. And he- hero workouts try to honor those who have sacrificed. And there's one called the Murph, And it celebrates a soldier who died. And it's pretty famous because everyone does it on Memorial Day. And what it is, is it's one mile run, then 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and another mile run, all while wearing a weighted vest, which is at least 20 pounds. It is a painful, painful experience. And so I had the bright idea of doing one a week for 15 weeks from Memorial Day to Labor Day. That was a bad idea. As we have already established, I am not an elite athlete. And so this hurt. But what I would do is I would pick one person, a hometown hero, someone who was from the town I was in in Maslow, who had died. who was either a firefighter or a police officer or a soldier. And I would run that day for them. And there would be moments where I felt like everything ached in my whole body. It was in August. It was 100 degrees. I'm sweating. I want to stop. Things are chafing in places they shouldn't chafe. Like, everything's bad. And what I remembered in that moment is like, well, it's not as bad as being dead, as giving your life. It's not as bad as what their family has to be. And this is what happens when we take this and apply it. Whatever we suffer through is not as bad as what Jesus had to do on the cross. His suffering for us, which we didn't even deserve, inspires us to do the same. To suffer and be disciplined and to go after it. Because when we do the love of Jesus Christ, that work of love on the cross, that suffering on the cross, that we get to step into that, participate in it, and be part of it in other people's lives. It is the greatest honor you will ever have in your life to suffer like Christ. In a world where we run away from suffering, that is a hard word. How do we do this? We discipline ourselves. Like an athlete, we learn the rhythms of rest and stretch and all the things that we need to do to make sure that we are ready to participate in what God has for us. The way we do that in this church is by inviting people to become partners with the church. It's kind of like membership, but different. Partners are those who commit to positioning themselves, to discipline themselves so that they can bear the torch of Christ's justice and love into the world. And it's our goal that every one of you become a partner one day. But there is a discipline to it, an accountability that all of us engage in. So I want to put on the screen those commitments of partners. Because I believe that even though you don't have to become a full partner today, that God is going to call you to do some of these things. Some of these activities, some of these commitments are things that you're going to need to take your connect card out, say, I want more information about, and you're going to need to take a next step. And even if this isn't your home church, if you go to a church somewhere else, this applies there as well. And maybe this is what God is calling you to do. All of these line up with our codes on the wall. We create belonging. We have that first code, you belong. By leading a small group. Those who are partners choose to lead a small group where sometimes everybody shows up and sometimes people don't. (laughs) Where it's hard and you have to be disciplined to create that space for belonging for other people. The second is we want every one of you to encounter Jesus. To encounter Jesus, whether that is that discipline of ruminating on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ or submitting to him when he says, hey, you gotta repent from this and turn away and move towards me but it's through reading his word, through praying, spending time in him. That is a commitment a partner makes. Relentless pursuit of one more. Join us as a team and serve at Life Canton once a month. These are good training wheels. These are good disciplines to allow you to become who God has called you to be and to do. The third, uh, fourth is whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. I love that one. That one's gritty. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. It's it's gritty to say, it's fun to say, it's harder when it comes to our money. That doesn't just apply to our money, but it's one of the commitments that Life Canton partners make. So that, so that we can do this together. And that's to give 10% of our income to Life Canton and then grow in generosity beyond. It takes stewardship and discipline to be able to do that. But when you do that, the benefits aren't just that the church increases, but that your heart is placed in the right place and you become Able to be generous beyond that, whether it's to this church or other places. God wants to give you the ability to be generous in incredible ways, but that doesn't mean that suffering doesn't come with it. As we move forward, we see multiply. This is one of my favorites. It's about discipling. It's about becoming a Paul, being like Timothy, and passing on to reliable people what you have learned. It's about taking what God has put inside of you and putting it into somebody else. We want you to multiply, and this one is about influencing one other person for their own spiritual growth. That is discipleship. And finally, driven by new life, this is all about the glory of God. It is all about worshiping him. And that means being here every week and worshiping God together. But for you, it also might be getting baptized where we celebrate new life together. I don't know what this is for you. And don't worry, I'm going to put this back up at our last song so you can contemplate and pray about what God would have you do. But these are the disciplines. I'm going to move quickly through verse 6 as we're running out of time, but I encourage you to put on your Connect card what God is calling you to do. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I want to focus on hard-working. The farmer is hard-working. Anyone in here come from a farming family? That few of you. Where I was before, it was all Amish people. Everyone was a farmer, and it was it was uh, powerful to watch them and the work ethic and what it takes to be a farmer. A farmer can only do what they do because they have a focus on what is happening. In a lot of ways, there's a heritage there. Paul Harvey once wrote a beautiful poem and performed it about being a farmer. I'm going to read just a, a few portions of it. Listen to the kind of work and and hard work it takes. God said. I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to tame lambs and wean pigs and tend the pullets, who will stop his mower for an hour to split the broken leg of a meadow lark. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, to weed, to feed, to breed and rake and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk and replenish the self-feeder and finish a hard day's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who would bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. This imagery, that moment between the father and the son, I can almost see it in my mind, where the son sees the cost and the pain and the hurt and says, I want to be part of that. And in a way, that dynamic is almost what I feel Jesus might have felt as he was walking along the lake of Galilee where he's walking along the water and he saw these young men who are working hard, who are fishermen, who are tan, and they have scars on their arms, and their, their, their hands are calloused, and, and they have to work so hard every night pulling in fish and the smell and all that, and, and yet be able to mend these tiny nets and seeing oh, I can work with this. And walking up to one of them and said, hey, come follow me. You're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And the same way God looks to us and He sees us, and He's given us so much grace. He says, work hard with me, dedicate yourself to this. And maybe you get the imagery of the fisherman or maybe you get the imagery of the farmer where you plow these fields and you put these seeds in. You don't know what exactly is going to happen, but you work hard every day at it. And because of that, you get to join in what Jesus Christ is doing. The soldier is single minded. The athlete is disciplined, and the farmer is hardworking. Why the mixed metaphor? Because he's saying, suffer with me, engage these things, and let grace be your strength to see you through. This is how I want to end. Verse 7, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Believe that you are not here by accident, that God has a word for each one of you, And he wants to give it to you through the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to you. In the next moment, we're going to put those commitments back up because I want you to allow that to cause you to take your next step, to choose what you need to cut off, what you need to start doing, so that you can follow Jesus in a way that is full of grace and full of strength and full of joy. If we do this, if we do this, students, we need you. Because students, you're going to become the change. You're going to bring the change our world needs. We have done it wrong, and some things are falling apart, and we need you to be disciplined. Parents, if you do this, you're going to grow children with a single-minded clarity about who they are and who they serve. And someday you'll have that moment where you look across from them and realize that they're following after your devotion to God in their own way. In church, if we do this, the vision's gonna go forth in a new way and transform the world. We'll get to be part of that. So what I want you to do is I want you to contemplate and to think and ask God, what is it that you are calling me to do? And then do it. I know the Holy Spirit will do that for you. It is set before you what is good. I love in Deuteronomy, it says this. I have set before you blessing, blessing, and curses. Life and death. Now choose life so that you and your children may truly live.
0: That was a great message you just heard from Pastor Nathan. I hope that this week you take the opportunity to not just reflect on grace, but maybe even sit on what well, you have been saved from and let grace transform you in some of the ways that pastor nathan was talking about also if you have anything going on whether you're just processing something from the message or just something else you have going on in life and you need prayer or support please reach out via, you can reach out via connect card online on our now page or just reach out to someone personally we are a community where we believe you belong we want to support and encourage each other so please be sure to do that um, Again, I hope you enjoyed the message and look forward to connecting with you again really soon. I hope you have a blessed week and that this week God's grace just transforms your heart and your soul and your mind and and transforms you in so many ways. Have a blessed week and we'll talk to you again real soon.